Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 71. And today we're talking about anti-Asian violence and what does it mean to lament a missing narrative. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this conversation today. It's a very important one, one that we've been wanting to have for a while and something that impacts many of us. As always, Bernard and Shu are here. How are you guys doing? Yo, what's up? Yo, yo. Yo, yo. Hey, we are missing our fourth host, Xenia, who is recovering from not feeling so well. And so we are definitely missing the professor's voice in our conversation today. We are praying for her recovery, and so hopefully by the time this is coming out, that she is feeling all better. (laughs) But we're talking about anti-Asian violence today, and what does it mean for us? How are we processing all of this? This is a very weighty conversation, and I think as we have been thinking about this time of the pandemic, and of course, what has that revealed in all of us in culture, what we have seen just in our neighbors down south and the things that have been happening there, what has it exposed? What has it revealed in terms of anti-Asian violence? And what is the narrative that's been missing and how do we respond to it? There's a lot to kind of unpack here. You know, there's definitely been a heightened awareness because of the pandemic and because of this virus and what that has specifically been labeled as, how that has specifically led to targeted violence against Asian communities. And perhaps it's just brought to light something that's always been there already. And so I want to just ask Bernard Shu, you guys, what have some of your initial thoughts been? How have you guys been processing through some of the things that we've been through over this last year? I think there's just so much to kind of unpack, and especially like from a Canadian landscape, because I think like when we see, you know, what happens around the world and especially when we think about like what kind of stirred up a lot of this conversation i know you know john you had alluded to like you know the when COVID started and even what what it was called right like that has impacted how people viewed asian people Mm. but i think the recent kind of engagement with this topic was birthed out of this shooting that happened in the states in atlanta right and many have deemed that as a hate crime against East Asians. And then that landed a lot of discussions and engagements about that. And I guess like, which really led me to, you know, on a journey of kind of rethinking and trying to understand like, what is, what is the anti-Asian reality in Canada? And even hearing it from friends from Vancouver and hearing from here and kind of even seeing that it's a little different, like with the landscape that we're in from urban center to rural areas, like the kind of racial tensions that East Asians have experienced yeah. through the years is very different. And then from Vancouver, from the West Coast to the East Coast is also very different. And I think like when I think about, you know, this a larger anti-Asian conversation, I think it requires a little bit more nuancing that will help kind of unpack a little bit about like, so what, is, what does that actually mean, you know, for us and for the church? Like how do you react and engage with this giant topic? For myself, it was, you know, like, especially during this pandemic and, and for those of you listening, if you're not in Canada, 
we have some people who are not in Canada. Like we're in our third lockdown as we're recording this right now. And, you know, to go, to go through this during this pandemic waves that I've been going through and then, you know, and then first, you know, which really tipped, I think everyone off was violence against black lives, right? That, that was the first thing. And then now it's, it, it sh- well, I don't even think it shifted. There's still a lot of, a lot of violence against black lives in America in particular, yeah. but in we're seeing now this anti-Asian, anti-Asian sentiment, anti-Asian violence happening in the States. And also there's some in Canada as well. And it's it's so like it causes so much grief because you're you're almost like wait it's like why why is this a, why are people attacking you know people who are asian in particular is it because of this covid thing and then and then in especially san francisco why are they attacking someone who is like the age of my grandparents you know and is like it's horrifying to see these things but yet you also i don't know for me you're also seeing how some people live their whole life uh, under this kind of fear and against people having those uh, sentiments against them automatically and how even we're raised in in our culture to maybe harbor something against another race, another ethnicity. And then it's just, I need, I'll even say this, like I, it's, it's had to make me kind of think long and hard about, you know, I'm, I'm Chinese and I, I've had some things naturally, you know, Oh, you're, you're looking down at another uh, ethnicity automatically because the culture has kind of brought you there and it's just like are you reinforcing that is that just stuff that you say in your language and the slangs that you use and it's had to make me think a lot of a lot of those things so i think especially during this covid time i'll say one it has definitely you know made me think about these things more and especially as we see the news in the pandemic, I think for most of us a lot of people with social media or anything you just blasted over and over by by different reports and stuff and i don't think that's healthy in our minds to like try to take the whole world's burdens on us but it doesn't give us an excuse either to just hide under a shell so yeah i don't know there's just a lot to unpack there but just some of my preliminary thoughts i think i've once heard someone say like COVID 19 has both exposed and amplified the reality of our culture and there's definitely a lot of fuel to, you know, add to the amplification. And I think like, that's, that's really, you know, this, this, you know, on top of that, we were already in a pandemic, right? Like we were already in lockdown as we were in Toronto, in Canada, much of Canada is in lockdown, but like in the midst of that, like it's revealing so much and it's like bringing us so close to all these other cultural realities and, you know, hate and crimes against race has been a huge discussion, you know, in the last 12 months. Yeah, there's definitely so much to unpack. And over these past number of months, it's definitely led to a lot of reflection. I know for me, thinking back on my own experience, having an opportunity to kind of think about what does it mean to be Canadian Asian. And I know there are some differences between being Canadian Asian and American Asian. There is, you know, some nuance there and knowing that, you know, how certain things have been built in to perhaps the consciousness or perhaps the experiences of others is is different. So I think, you know, we do recognize that and we don't want to just kind of paint a broad stroke over that. But I think for me too, perhaps growing up in Ottawa, it being much more of a Caucasian city, at least when I was growing up, like it was something that 
I didn't really think a lot of, perhaps didn't experience a lot of racism as much. But I think over this past year, I've thought back and was wondering, were certain things that were said about my culture, like microaggressions, or were they contributing to making me feel a sense of otherness, or that there was a separation or distance from being part of the larger you know, collective culture. And it's been interesting. I think it's definitely been interesting. And I think I'm still continuing to unpack it. But it's hard for me to hear some of the news that you guys were just mentioning about like how, you know, elderly Asian people are getting pushed over just for standing there. And what does that mean? It's, it, it's almost unbelievable, but it's happening. And perhaps once again, just like B was saying, you know, how it has really highlighted this and exposed it. And yeah, this, this is a huge topic, I think, for, for us as we consider what does it mean for us to unpack. And then, you know, we're going to be doing a second episode, a follow-up episode on this in terms of what does it mean to move forward. In. And so, yeah, I guess as we're kind of unpacking this, let's think a little bit about the history. What has been kind of the history in terms of uh, Asian immigration and some of the realities Asian Canadians have faced? Or perhaps even, you know, that we've experienced ourselves too. You know, some people have talked about things like, you know, critical race theory and, and kind of brought that into the conversation. But yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about our history. You know, what are the, some of the struggles that have been experienced in Asian immigrants? And how do we perhaps understand it for, from our vantage point and perhaps maybe something that we reflect on what we've experienced ourselves? So yeah, what do you guys think about kind of the history of the struggles? Well, critical race theory... Oh my gosh. I don't know if, if whoever's listening, if you're seeing the kind of battle of critical race theory happening in, in the church or evangelical ch Protestant church in particular. It's UFC. It's like, yeah, the I know. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And critical theory is such a normal, like liberal arts, you know, study of, of things, what's happening in the world. I just find it so crazy. That it's like, oh wait, no, that's a secular thing. That's a that's going down a pagan or, or bad, a not biblical kind of pathway. I just find those things fascinating. Where it's just like, if it's not in the Bible, then we can, like don't ever you can't use that. Or it's like people are trying to position it so that you you can't understand race better in in terms of those categorizations or, or theoretical terminology. So I just find one that's just really fascinating that critical quote unquote critical race theory is already you know, bad. But most people, again, I think we've talked about this numerous times, don't even know what critical race theory is. It's just an <laughs> ideological thing. It's an ideology that's just like, oh, like we just got to be against it because my favorite pastor author said said something or, or tweeted this or whatever. So I find that fascinating that that we're in this this place where even that has now become, oh, well, okay, a, a lot of Black activists have talked in, in those terms. And now some Asian, you know, activists have used those terms. So now, you know, we got to watch out as, you know, the church to be solidly biblical or something like that. I just find that it blows my mind. It blows my mind that that's like kind of where we're at with that. Like, I wonder if part of it too is, you know, how I believe like critical race theory, you know, and the critique of our culture it has so much to do with like the power and the privilege. Right. And I think like when people's power and privilege is, you know, being threatened, then it's kind of like, well, I don't want to lose that power and privilege. Like we've earned it. We, you know, we've worked our butt off. We've created the system. 
But then nobody began to realize that, like, well, the system has all these issues and flaws in it to begin with, right? And and in actuality, that's that's actually what critical race theory is all about, <laughs> is critiquing the power in the systems and like whether there's true equity. Which you know, like we could we could argue, like, oh, is it directly? Which pa- passage in the Bible is it in? It's like in in one sense, maybe not directly, but in every sense, that's what Jesus was talking about to the powers and the privileges. And I think like, you know, that's just, I don't know, like it, it's been on my mind a lot too, because there's so much discussion on it, uh, even when I want to shut my eyes and not deal with it, but this is right before us. I think it's been even revealing how an ideology can be wholesale accepted. <laughs> just, just, you know, just flat out, just being, you know, hearing from an author or a pastor say something about it, and then it's completely written off. But yeah, like... It's interesting. And like, I, I think back on something that Fitch said, and he was talking a little bit about how this could be possibly used as a diagnostic, but maybe it's not something that we are basing our whole perspective and worldview on. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it has some usefulness for that. You know, perhaps it's another way of expressing, as, as Bernard was just saying, what Jesus had always been talking about all along. And it's just another approach to understanding in a different way. And really, it's just like, that's what we use science for, right? Like science is to better understand things from a particular diagnostic way. Like it's it's looking at a, a specific theory of, okay, this is how we can perceive these things. But then theological is also another way. The theology of how you look at, I think, I've been listening to Dallas Willard the past while, but it's like something like uh, theology is like the queen of of the ologies, right? It's just like you need you need <laughs> theology also with with whatever theory or whatever uh, studies that you're doing, and you need those things to to look to work together and to to balance off of that. But yeah, I think as Christians, of course, we want the Bible to inform that. But like like be like like John, you're saying like. W- wouldn't Christ be wanting us to, you know, help those who are being, you know, enacted violence against, you know, e- even for our, our own, you know, for Asians, you know, but even for those who are over and over, they keep getting shafted, whether it's just how history has deemed it, how culture has deemed it, and how it just keeps happening over and over. And we want to be part of not just making only things equitable. I think that's always a, a challenging thing. How do you make things equal. I think that's a harder thing to start battling, but it's like, but how do you just even love those who are in need? How do you love those and and fight for those who have been kind of stamped on, you know, put their, like (laughs) the, the culture, the society at large has put their thumb on for so long. And I think Christ is about that upside down kingdom. Like, what does that look like? And what, even in my life, I have to rethink, hmm, maybe me being a you know, Chinese, Canadian, middle, upper class person, I need to rethink what or, or reassess where I'm coming from, where my privileges lie, where my influencing comes from. And how can I use that for God's glory? But God's glory includes loving your neighbor as yourself. What does that look like? And I think those kind of questions are at the heart of what does it mean to be a disciple and follower of Christ? And how do we approach it from that angle as well as Shu, you were kind of saying. And yes, you know, these are huge questions. And, you know, kind of bringing it back to talking a little bit about the history of the struggles, you know, 
what might have been some of the experiences of those who perhaps just immigrated to Canada and what did they go through and how did, you know, for some of them, they understand and experience and process things. Because I know just from hearing stories from parents or grandparents, those who have firsthand experience of it, it's different. Of course, it's different. And I know, you know, exactly what you were saying earlier too, like just coming from perhaps, you know, to use the term terminology, like a second generation, even though we've talked about that in the past in, in our podcast. But, you know, just to being a child of immigrant, how I've experienced it differently as well. And a lot of this kind of brings me back to kind of, you know, even thinking about, you know, you know to use a show like Kim's Convenience, right? You know, how an immigrant family comes and starts up a convenience store and things that they experience. You know, thinking about my grandma coming, you know, not knowing much English, what, it, what could it have been like for her? And the struggles with that and how she interacted with Canadian culture for her to, to, you know, to do the jobs that she did, you know, what was her experiences through that? People have talked about how Canada itself has become or has been more tolerant or perhaps it has become much more open or, you know, to leading to a place of like kind of it's how it's a little bit of a more of a melting pot. But I think, you know, those experiences are also as valuable and and how specifically what period people have gone through have played into the struggles of you know what we're talking about today and perhaps have led to fears and have led to violence and so there's so much to kind of to continue to talk about what were some of those experiences and how as as Christ follower and and as we look at to Jesus himself how how can we kind of understand and process and and what we're talking about today, you know, what are some of the things that we're lamenting over some of those experiences? Yeah, so I have kind of two stories to share, one of which is my own. The first one was actually like when I immigrated to Canada, like there was definitely a feeling of otherness. You know, our family immigrated to Canada from Hong Kong in a rather like more privileged position because both my parents were professionals and they had jobs. They were able to find work and whatnot. And and so like it's it was different, but yet there was still this sense of otherness, like this feeling like, oh, this is the group of people who just immigrated. They're, they're, the, they're the fobs, um, the fresh yeah. off the boats. You know, they wear weird T-shirts that have misspelled Nikes and, uh, to NICAFs. And, you know, <laughs> and there was actually this like almost physical tension you can feel with when you're with a group of people who are like, you know, more, you know, fresh off the boat, um, the lack of a better term versus those who are like naturally born in Canada and definitely this otherness. I mean, over the years, like we became friends and, you know, I no longer speak with an accent or maybe I so do, I don't know. But, you know, like I think that immigrant experience is just so incredibly rich to understand, like, how do you kind of, you know, move from one culture to the next, you know? I'm not going to call it like incarnation or anything, but like, it, it's definitely that experience of like, you know, like leaving a homeland, like exiling from your homeland and trying to rediscover like, what is your identity here? Right. Like, who am I? Am I more Chinese? Am I more Canadian? Where do I stand in all of this? Like I wasn't even born here. Right. And it's even more fascinating in high school. Cause then that kind of explodes your microcosm. Like I was in an elementary school, 30 people per class. And it was just like tiny, Right. So everybody knew everybody. But when you're in high school, like this, you know, this microcosm of like uh, racial tension that 
begins to kind of, you know, spread out. There's like, you know, different ethnic tables, like almost in my high school. And it was, it was totally bizarre. And it's like, you're, if you're not invited to that table, you don't sit there, you know? And so it's, it's really... Isn't that kind of like Canada a little bit though? It is know, totally, like, you know, like the, yeah, the like mosaic, our neighborhood, the mosaic, little Chinatown, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, all the little India. Towns. But yet, what's interesting is that though there is some of that, like that, th- that is very clear, no doubt. I'm sure it's still happening today. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and this is not to say we're better, but it's more like, but there is something of yet an acceptance of different cultures more in Canada than the states, right? It, Did you notice any of that? In your story? Yeah, I think there is more acceptance over time. Like, I think there was like a, a weariness. It's definitely like almost like a hierarchy in a way um, hmm. of almost like ethnicity. Like, I, I felt that the most in high school. That was very fascinating. Like, there's certain kind of pecking order. And, you know, Chinese people is kind of like in the middle because like you're smart, but like, and you pay your, and you play your Chinese sports. Like, a, you know, we're badminton team, man, you know, 11 year. <laughs> Toronto champs, <laughs> but it's like you know, it is fascinating to kind of feel like, oh, like you know, there's certain people that are like, oh, I don't want to mess with those people. There's certain people like, oh, they're kind of like my peers, and so like that was kind of like a fascinating experience. And maybe like you know, and I don't know if we'll dig into this, but like this idea of like model minority, mm. it's definitely like you know, like like part of the systemic experience. Yeah, I had people sitting next to me because they thought that I was smart in math. Oh, <laughs> too bad. Boom. But I could have messed them up. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, Don't sit beside me, man. Were, were you copying off their answers, Shu? Not to probably, say that you were. Probably more to that. <laughs> oh, man. And my other story was actually, you know, what I, what I lament the most about, you know, the racial tension is that the systems that people were brought up in really shapes their imagination of how they view and connect with other people. And the first time I've ever really experienced this, and like, you know, like, as I share about like my, my own experience, like it was, wasn't, wasn't even that bad, but as I went, I remember when the, the first year I went to Urbana, it was, you know, I was new to faith and everything. And we were down at um, the last one in Chicago at Urbana Champagne. I remember we were part of like, you know, these different house church groups. We were like in the dorm, we do Bible study and stuff like that. I remember one of the guys who lived down South and we were kind of trying to unpack with him later. And I remember him being at one of the gatherings and seeing a woman worship leader and physically feeling uncomfortable. And then when it was a non white man speaking, he physically could not stay in the room and he walked out. And I remember having this conversation with him later and him unpacking about how he grew up and kind of the segregation that he was experiencing all his life. And he's just sitting there struggling with his heart. Like, I know this is wrong the way that I feel, but I can't overcome it because I'm just so much a part of it. And I think the way that like, that was the first time I've experienced like, wow, like the, the systems and the cultures and like our upbringing, you know, in our community forms so much of our imagination and how we see other people. And I think like, and I lament that like, this still happens today. This still happens like in big cities, you know, like it just, it's just so sad, you know, like just like the amount of hate towards another, you know? And, and I think like that's been heavy, you know, when we talk about like, 
you know, what are some things that we lament on? I, I lament on the systems and not being able to be critical and not having a way out for many people because they're just stuck in it. You know, I, I know this could just be a very ignorant thing to say, but it's part of what I see in Israel and, and Palestine stuff going on right now that it's almost like it's at, it's at a point where there's such deep rooted history. And if people are kind of stuck in that antagonism, violence, that, that's that, that circle that cycle that keeps, keeps going. Actually, you know what you, you when you say that B <laughs> as cheesy as it is for me, it's, it's like the system is discipleship. It's like what you're discipled to. Like, and then there's that cultural discipleship. There's just the air that you breathe, the imagination, as you're saying. So shout, shout out to J.R. Woodward, who I'm talking to quite a bit lately, but, but he's pointed me to a few things on Rene Girard. And I know not everyone's in, I think, no, even knows who that guy is, but talking about like, you know, he's kind of famous for scapegoat theory and uh and mimesis about like uh kind of copying people's desires and seeing that as part of discipleship has really kind of made me think like man people are stuck in those places and it's sometimes it's it's, not, it's just the situation that you're around the culture your upbringing of how that that goes and that's why like, for me i don't want to just hang my head on this but i i think a lot of anti any other group sentiment comes from a lot of that discipleship and copying and getting like just you know if, if this person showed you their angst against this group of people or whatnot and you grew up that way you sort of start copying that and i i see that and sometimes i think about like well what like what are we discipling our people towards is it just the, the same old same old or does it look more in line with what christ you know, would, would want us to, but, you know, I just think about this, you know, our Asian Canadian upbringing, like just if, if I was just surrounded by, you know, a lot of this certain group of people, a lot of them formed how I think, a lot of them formed how I act towards certain people. But the thing is that do we just, and I think that's the struggle in society today. Do we now just, yeah, I know I'm bringing this up. Okay. This is like, it gets controversial, but like, is it just we go with what society tells us to go with how to fix and make things more equality and more, you know, equitable for every single person? Like we just go, this is how progressive society is telling us to make things better, which I think has some good points. Or is it also like, well, is that the be all end all? And then Christians just, okay, let's just be absorbed into that. Or is there something else that the church is also particularly to be involved in as well? And I wonder how Asian Canadians are going to be a part of, you know, that, what would that look like? It reminds me a lot about what we've talked about in the past about a kingdom politic or gaining a new imagination, a new narrative that God is writing and drawing us into. And I think it applies for sure to what we're talking about today. I think that's probably where they're like, okay, what are the solutions that critical race theory is pointing to? And is that just a social answer? Is that just a humanistic way of kind of approaching the, this issue and this problem? But yeah, like it, it, it's very much in line with kind of what could that new narrative be? How is God leading us into that new narrative? And recognizing that 
so much of the cultural and the racial and like a lot of those narratives have been hardwired and passed down through generations that have led us to where they are. And I think one of the things that I want to ask, and maybe we can have a quick talk about is, is how do you guys think that otherness leads to fear? How does other, otherness leads to violence? And so what, what exactly are the, the steps that, you know, start off from, you know, that that person is other, but then escalates to violence? Well, going to the, back to actually that scapegoat theory and seeing that from what happens in society, but then also what happens to Christ is, is like, I think we're always kind of putting a scapegoat on, on something or something. Like, it's like, if I can't deal with my stuff, it's actually easier to just, okay, let's just put it all on this and this can be our sacrificial lamb, you know? And then stuff that you don't understand, stuff that you just like, okay, when, when we're talking about some of this stuff, I think about the Bruce Lee story for some reason, a lot. Like, yeah, like, like I think dragon? about Dra- dragon, dragon. Uh, definitely the Bruce Lee movie, Jason you know, Scott Lee, J- Jason Scott Lee. <laughs> and just like, you know, like, oh, he starts dating a white woman. So all, all these white guys start, you know, wanting to kick the crap out of him or whatever. But then like, it's almost like, okay, well, like we, we need to make an example of this person, you know? So we're going to put all of our anger, our frustration on this guy or, 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 or something, something builds up to, to get to that point. And I find that, yeah, I think like a lot of times it's like people don't know how to deal with certain things of, of how they feel. And like you're saying, this other person, it's easier to blame this person than to deal with stuff internally. Okay. I think I'm getting to either psychological or, or whatever with some of this or, or assuming too much, but I see that happening a lot. Probably I, I've done that a lot in my life where it's easier to project onto someone else or some other people, like my frustrations or, or the things that I haven't been able to deal with well or talk it out. So I don't know, just to, that was the first thing that kind of came to mind when you asked that question about otherness. I don't know. It's interesting because then like, you know, in other Bruce Lee stories, um, I've recently watched Itman 4 and then Bruce Lee was in it, right? Like, you know. Nice, nice. Uh, and then and then there's like, he is the one who's taking Chinese martial arts and then bringing it to kind of the Western culture, right? Like he's kind of flourishing the Eastern martial arts, but then he then gets othered by his own people as well. Right. And so you see people who are trying to actually engage and tackle with the, with the disconnect. And then they get even othered by them by their own people. And so they're like doubly othered because now you have two sides othering him. Right. But then I think like, Maybe the church just needs to be that, to sit in the gap, to be willing to like, no, like it doesn't matter. Like we get othered by everyone. We we recognize that, you know, it, there's something different. There's something new. It's just when you were talking about the Bruce Lee story, that was kind of what comes to mind. Like I'm just thinking about the other side of things because, you know, here's a guy who's exploring something different, something new. Uh, and then his own people are like, oh, how dare you teach, you know, the Guaylo is how to, you know, <laughs> Kung Fu. That, that's so, that's so like the church too, right? I just feel like to explore some of that imagination, you do get shot by your own side by it. If, if, especially if it's like, you know, it's something that is, I think what you're saying, John, like the, the other, not just the otherness, but that like people don't understand well, 
some new thing is starting to be birthed and people don't understand. So the first thing that easier to do to, I think, you know, this is the nature of a lot of storytelling. It's just like, I think throughout all of history and through all of, I just think of all the movies, again, just back to movies that I watch. It's just like people, they will, they fear the thing they don't understand or they don't try to understand or they don't try to make that effort. So there's the first easier. There's a caricature, right? Like people create a particular caricature of something that is othered instead of actually having a relational connection. You know, I think that, I think Dan White Jr. writes about it in Love Over Fear. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't know, you know, you, you don't even know the other. How are you even forming any, you know, understanding, right? Um, but you just judge with the caricature, right? And so. And it's so interesting to think how s- some of that type of response is already kind of, you know, ingrained in us. Like, why is that the type of response we go to? Like, you know, we would paint someone as a caricature rather than thinking about them as a person. You know, why, what does it say about our narratives when there are certain things that, you know, we would subscribe to as normalcy or natural, and then when it disrupts it, you know, we react or we respond, and how perhaps there is this fighting nature in us that, you know, is trying to claim or trying to hold on to something that was in the past. Because, you know, as you guys are bringing up all those examples too, it's just like thinking about, yeah, like, okay, if, you know, say in Dragon, the Bruce Lee story with Jason Scott Lee, you know, if Bruce Lee had a relationship with an Asian girl, it would not have been an issue. Oh, it like, was because he, he had, <laughs> that, whatever, in the movie, at least, the fling with, with the cooks. The, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The cook. <laughs> yeah, that was Sorry, something is, else. Okay, yeah. that was something else. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. But yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's just because he was dating a Caucasian girl that all of a sudden that really disrupted the systems and perhaps that then I, I don't like it's 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 one of those things where I think about is it a class thing? <laughs> is it like a you know, is it uh like everyone has to stay in their own pocket and has to be in their own lane? I, I don't know. It, and and how does that feed into kind of the fears and leading to violence and what does that say about power, privilege and and all of that? There's it's so interesting. It's 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 like, and I'll I'll kind of be you know kind of controversial. Well, this might not be so controversial anymore, but it's it's how you know hearing how some Asian families would not be comfortable with perhaps their son or daughter dating someone who is perhaps from like an African American background. And what does that say? Like, I feel like you know you know right off the top of that, we have it inbred in us as, as much as the other way around. So. Yeah. Just, just kind of going back to, to my, my train of thought, ultimately, I think we could generalize it and call it sin, right? Just that there's this sinful, inherent sinfulness that, that's happening, that's, this cycle, that's creating a cycle. And then something that I've been thinking about recently, too, is that, and I think probably, you know, if Xenia was here, she'd have a lot to say, too, but like the powers and principalities, you know, and those things are the things that we believe as Christians that there are forces that are kind of stirring up whether, okay, whatever theological train you want to go, go on, you either think of it as personified, like there are actually these spiritual forces happening, or there's actually these spiritual forces that are just kind of create a cycle of messed upness, <laughs> systemic sin issues in the world. And do we believe that these things are happening? And as kind of Bernard was alluding to, are we the church part of the 
the healing um, avenue in this in in this world. We're part of this kingdom, bringing to either break the cycles of, of those things to point them to Christ. And is there good news? Is this kingdom actually better news somehow? And what would that look like? Big question, huge question for all of us. And so perhaps as we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about what do we do with these histories and our experiences? How do we lament? What is the purpose of lamenting and where can it lead us towards? How can we reflect on it, but also holding on like to, to the hope that we have in Christ? I wonder if lament which is, I think, a practice that's lost. And it's kind of like, you know, we chatted a little bit with Sun Chang in a much earlier episode about lament is something that we don't practice enough of. And maybe the practice in the liturgy of lament is meant to offer space for people to A, acknowledge that there is sin, there's brokenness, there's hurt, there's harm, there's pain. Mm. And also to give voice to the victims, you know, whose stories and narrative are often untold and to acknowledge that, you know, like, it's not just the fact that this happened in the world. So who cares? It's not in my backyard, but it's that this happened in the world and we lament together. We cry out together. We see the injustice together, that this is as much as, you know, that narrative out there, that it is our narrative as well that we are part of this, you know? And I think, I think that's a posture that is, is deeply healing because I think it draws us to realize that, you know, that we all have a role in the broken systems, but maybe through it all, we also have the role to offer the hope and the restorative and the, and the hopeful and the, and the reconciling and in you know, the renewing work. And so, so I think like, that's kind of where I, I see kind of the practice of lament important i think i think just simply to start off with lament is almost similar to at least in my mind you know when jesus says you know first thing in the beatitudes blessed are the poor in spirit it's almost this kind of acknowledgement of there's nothing you can do in this moment and all you can do is just lament of what's that you can only acknowledge okay god this is so messed up Right now, it's not, I'm trying to fix this. I'm not trying to think I can make all the difference or, or create the system that will change all these things, but just like, you know, oh God, essentially, just that, that cry out. And I think without that first, at times there is that almost, I think for, you know, a lot of the church context I am, the, the, sometimes it's that pragmatic thing. You want to do something, you want to fix something or fix the injustice or, or do all these things. But it's like, first, it's acknowledging, okay, God. I, I, one, I'm not God. And then two is just like, I just, I, I'm breaking down here and I, I need some space to, to either, you know, cry out to you in that way and, and follow in, in those, those footsteps of the psalmist or, or, you know, uh, other, other people in scripture who, well, Jesus <laughs> and modeling these things to us. But yeah, just, there's a need to lament in in these situation in these situations especially as we're talking about this anti-asian violence it's just like i want to fix all this stuff but first i need to spend some time to actually just be in the lord's presence cry out and acknowledge him and just just sit and know that he's with me with us 
but yeah, just just thinking about it from that lines. I think this conversation is reminding me of of what does it mean to acknowledge pain in our life and how it has shaped us so much and how it has shaped a culture so much and to also be aware of that in each other as we consider what possibly could be the next steps but just to be able to sit in that sitting in it with one another as well and to be sharing those stories and to be grieving and lamenting over them and to recognize that that has been something in our past and that has been something in our present and yeah i think that that you know opportunities like that could be a grace for us to be acknowledging that we can't do anything about it and where does that drive us into and hopefully we recognize that it can easily drive us into more fear or bitterness and how we can be shaped by that as people as a church or it could be you know driving us into to recognizing that like as we sit in the space that God is there and that he sees it too and that it is something that you know as we experience it that that God is is at work in and i think when we experience both our histories of brokenness and also our current brokenness that it helps us to also connect and identify with one another in a more holistic way and more full way and how in that moment you know grace and ministry can happen as well yeah you know that's that's kind of how i think a little bit of of lament and of course there is that hopefulness side which will talk about a little bit more in our next episode but you know as we tell those stories to one another perhaps in in some way that we can share in one another's sufferings as 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 we share in the sufferings of Christ and how he is there grieving with us gives us something to hold on to big conversations for us today and you know we're looking forward to looking ahead in our next episode and what does it mean for us And thank you all for listening to our episode today. It was definitely a heavier one. But we'd love to hear what you think. What have been your experiences? What are the stories that you've heard? What are the things you lament over? Or perhaps what have been some of your reactions to the anti-Asian violence that has been happening recently? We'd love to know what you think and how you're continuing to process all of this. Let us know by email at contact.campodcast at gmail.com. That's contact.campodcast podcast at gmail.com or by Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can reach us on there as well. We'd love to hear some of your reflections. If you haven't done so already, please also remember to share this podcast with others and to rate and to review and to subscribe to this channel. That would definitely help us a lot. We're going to be continuing on this conversation on this topic next episode, so you want to make sure you tune in for that. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.